those that you just saw on the screen are the nine gifts of the uh, nine fruit of the Holy Spirit, and they're found in Galatians chapter five, and we're taking them one at a time. And today we come to the third one. Let's go to Galatians five, verse twenty-two. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, is, of course, the big three that begin it. We've talked about these now: love, joy peace, and we come today to forbearance, forbearance. I use the New International Version. Most English versions simply translate it with our favorite word, patience. Oh, yes. I mean, I got out of bed to come and hear a sermon on patience. God help me. The new, uh, uh, the, uh, both the new and the, the traditional King James Version Translate it, not patience or forbearance, but long-suffering. What a wonderful word that is, long-suffering. We were in Turkey a couple of weeks ago, and if you were here two Sunday mornings ago, we got this wild idea to do the morning announcements from a hot air balloon above the Lycus Valley in Western Turkey where three New Testament churches were located in the first century. And uh, it became, because you need gas jets to keep the air warm in the balloon to keep you up. Uh, Recording that for Pastor Don and I turned out to be an exercise in patience of its own. So this is what you did not see two weeks ago. All right, let's start with this again before we... All right, before we get to footprint. Before we get to our footprint. If you have not tried a Wednesday night scriptures, I invite you to... Let's do that one more time. Say, now let me throw... We throw it to the other side of the balloon. Okay, yeah, that's a good one. All right, whenever you're ready. Now let me. Now let me throw it to the other side of the balloon and Pastor Don and our footprint focus for today. I'm counting on you rescuing. <laughs> I don't know. All right, whenever you. When that stops. Our footprint focus for this week is Tip and Megan. <laughs> Our footprint focus for this week is Tech and Megan Carpenter. <laughs> now I understand that. Our footprint focus for this week is Tech and Megan Car. Car- <laughs> I'm not supposed to do this. <laughs> this is the craziest footprint focus We heard from Tech and Megan just last week telling us that they've arrived running. They're already involved in as well as discussions about the Let's pray for Tech and Megan. Father, we love you today. We thank you for these fine. All right, now say, now back to Pastor T. You want me to do it? <laughs> no. 
Now back to Pastor Jim. Boy, we saw Pastor Don at his best. Okay, now I have a question for you. I'm gonna put part of a scripture verse in front of you, and I want you to guess how it ends. Here it is, Colossians 1.11. And the church of Colossae was located in that valley that we were floating above. Be, being, Paul said, this is part of God's will. This is how I pray for you. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you... So all power in proportion to God's glorious might, you would think that what would follow would be so that you will triumph in every circumstance, so that you will have the victory, so the power of Jesus' name will work through your life, so that nothing will overcome you, so that you will have everything you need, because this is all power in proportion to God's glorious might. But here's how Paul really ends the sentence. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have ugh, great endurance and patience. Always, every time I read that verse, I do a double take. Like, that's not what the first half of the verse set me up for. Like, great endurance and, there's our favorite word, patience. And to the degree that we don't like patience, we like the word endurance even less, because it doesn't sound triumphal. It doesn't sound victorious. I mean, there's stuff you just have to endure. Well, if that wasn't the case, what planet are you on? You certainly are never in traffic on Glenstone. <laughs> you know, and appears most drivers in Springfield forgot that they should have learned in driver's ed that like the left lane is the fast lane and the right lane is the slow lane. And, you know, I have some pet peeves. Most of them have to do with driving, not my driving, but everybody else's driving. And, <laughs> and I get in the left lane behind somebody who's actually going below the speed limit. And I'm going, would you get over the right lane? And don't you know all these people are risking their lives trying to get around you? You should be in the right lane because slow drivers are in the right lane, fast lane is the left lane. And, and, and then when I'm, amen, I got an amen on that one, praise God. And I also just felt I needed to tell a thousand people that you're supposed to stay in the right lane if you're slow. I just had this need inside me because it drives me crazy when people are keeping me from where I need to get to be. And uh, some days, you can't do a thing to control, like most things in our life. You can't do a thing to control what other people are doing or not doing. And you just flat out need endurance. And the churches that were in that Lycus Valley we were floating over, there came a time where because they put their faith in Jesus, they were having their property confiscated they were being fired from their jobs for being Christians. Sometimes they were being arrested and physically abused. And, and what you would need all power in proportion to God's glorious might for, what you would need that for would be to endure. 
because that is part of following Jesus, just enduring. So if I was to put in a little equation, all power plus glorious might, all power plus glorious might leads to those very fun two things, enduring and being patient. And in fact, the word patience that Paul uses here in the original Greek literally means to be long-tempered. Unlike me, when slow drivers are in the left lane in front of me, then I'm short-tempered. But this is to be long-tempered. And in some ways, God is giving us an incredible life skill. It's this ability to truly cope with all the things we can't control around us and all the things that other people do that even God's power doesn't necessarily exempt us from. And to be long tempered. So how are we, first of all, to understand patience biblically? It's, it's a concept that comes all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament. And I, I want to just, just understand that question in, in two ways. First of all, we need to understand that patience is actually embedded in the character of God, in the character of the God who can do anything he wants whenever he wants to do it. But patience is actually a part of his character. In fact, all, all nine of the fruit of the Spirit are character descriptions of Jesus himself. So we go way back to the Old Testament at a moment that was an illustration in itself of God's patience because he's trying the second time to give Moses the Ten Commandments. And in Exodus 34, verse 6, as he passed in front of Moses, he, God proclaimed. So God's presence passes in front of Moses. He's up on Mount Sinai. The glory of God's all around him. As God passes in front of him, um, he hears the words, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, who is what? Say that word. Oh, slow to anger. Slow to anger. And abounding in love and faithfulness. Now, a lot of people, you know, read the Old Testament and think, I, all I see is God getting angry all the time. Actually, if you read the Old Testament carefully, you'll come out of it overwhelmed with the love of God and the patience of God. Does he get angry? Yes, and rightfully so. Just like you and I get angry against injustice. If he didn't get angry at injustice, if he didn't get angry at the evil that distorts and dismantles the human condition, then he would not be good. If he was indifferent, if he could care less about all the victims of injustice and evil, then how could we possibly worship him as good today? And so just like you, you're passionate about justice. He's passionate about justice. And that's why his anger does come. But he says, I'm slow in getting there. And the reason he unpacks in more detail for us in the New Testament, like Romans 2, verse 4. We're going to be just flying over a bunch of verses here. Where Paul writes, or do, you not, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, of God's kindness, and his forbearance and patience? Here Paul uses a different Greek word for forbearance, but it means the same as patience. And he just puts them side by side. Do you show contempt for how patient God is? Not realizing that it's God's kindness that is intended to lead you to repentance, to turn your life around, to submit your life 
to Jesus and his lordship. It's his patience, it's his kindness that woos you more than his anger that threatens you. He, he, he will de- deal with evil and everybody who chooses to stay on evil's side. But he is kind and it's his kindness that leads you to repentance and it's all an expression of his patience. Peter explains that in even more detail in 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He's patient with you. He doesn't doesn't want to lower the boom of his judgment on you. He's patient. He wants you to turn around. He's giving you time. And sometimes we really message God's patience in the wrong ways. We say, you know, I'm, I'm I'm just keeping God out here. I'm just calling the shots. I'm doing whatever I want. I'm going to kind of swallow the spirit of the time like nobody has a right to tell me what to do, including God. And you know what? Life seems to be going fine right now. God doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. And so either there's no God or he's fine with what I'm doing. And Peter and Paul are weighing in and saying, no, this has nothing to do with you getting away with it. This has everything to do with God's patience, not lowering the boom too soon. He is waiting for you to turn around out of his love for you. So patience is embedded in the character of God. And, and the second thing biblically we see is that, that patience keeps us from giving up on each other, on other people. And this is amazing. Now, if you've ever learned a new skill, like tried to learn an instrument, or I studied calculus for five years in engineering school, and I had to learn about integrals and, and, and differential equations, and I think my very last class in all my education was theoretical integral equations with an emphasis on theoretical. I still had bad dreams about that class for years after I finished it. But I remember first, first learning calculus. I, I came to love calculus, as you math geeks also love calculus. And it's a language to describe our universe. But boy, to learn to differentiate equations, I mean, at first, it didn't come naturally or intuitively. It was, a new, it was like learning a new language, literally. And, and, you know, I'd wrestle over these problems. I couldn't figure out how do I solve this differential equation? I mean, what do I do first? And, and you know what? It's easy to get impatient with yourself. And if you're constantly impatient with yourself, you're going to give up too soon. Because you're going to be going, oh, I just can't do this. It's hopeless. Why am I even putting myself through this misery? And uh, if you turn out to be 40 years old, and you've given up over and over and over just because you're so impatient with yourself, um, you, you have seriously crippled your potential. It takes endurance. It takes long. It takes suffering long to learn a new skill. And you just need patience with yourself. But that's not the emphasis here. Although it's, it, it, it is one of the benefits of patience when we apply it to ourselves. But Paul is thinking about the community of Christ. Everything in the New Testament needs to be understood, not in terms of just us individually, but us together as a family. And he's saying particularly patience is important so we don't give up on each other too quickly. 
In fact, this verse may have been read at your wedding if you're married. It's from 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4. Paul will list 15 characteristics of love. And the very first one is love is patient. You made it through the first year of marriage and you still love each other. You know that. Some of you have been married. I was talking to somebody who's been married over 60 years and their marriage partner is declining in health and doesn't have near the energy and isn't processing life in quite some of the right ways. And that person is just having to live out love, not in terms of romance, not in terms of is my spouse meeting my needs today, but in terms of love being patient. Some of you have been married 50, 60 years. It amazes me the way you're still caring for one another. And you're having to be more patient than you've ever been in caring for one another. Because this is the stuff of love. No wonder, no wonder in 1 Corinthians 13 of 15 characteristics is number one. Learning not to give up on each other. Even when they're not meeting your needs. But you love because you stay patient and you don't give up. Um, Ephesians 4, verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be, and then the second half of the verse, be, be completely humble and gentle, and then there's a semicolon, and then there's going to be a phrase that ends the sentence. He said, be patient, comma. What does that mean? Be patient, comma, bearing with one another. Isn't that fun? Now, people say, oh, I'd love to be a part of the New Testament church, the first century church. And usually we say that because of all the signs and wonders, and there was a certain beauty and purity to that church, persecuted as it often was. Uh, so I know what people mean when they say, I'd like to be a part of the New Testament church. Well, Paul here is writing to a New Testament church, and he was saying, there are some people you're just going to need to bear with. You know, you're going to need to bear with me as a pastor. I, I feel bad when you just have to bear with me as a pastor in all of my whatever that I'm not that you think maybe I should be. But um, I appreciate that you do. Although I, I like the story of the two ladies who left church. And one lady said, that was a great sermon on patience, wasn't it? The other lady said, yeah, it was. Except he went five minutes over. <laughs> so... You gotta bear with me, I, and I'm on schedule probably to be five minutes over this morning. <laughs> the other side of the equation is sometimes I have to bear with you. I hope you're not offended, but sometimes we call a prayer meeting and hardly anybody shows up. I watch some of your families and the intrusions of other priorities have become so, so strong that you barely have time for spiritual or church priorities in your family anymore, and you're raising your kids now. And I grieve. I, I go home and I grieve in my heart. And yet the Lord says, you know, just keep preaching at them, but bear with them. They're not all the way yet. You have to bear with me. I have to bear with you. If you're sitting beside somebody you don't know this morning in church, you have no idea what might be in their past. In fact, you may want to hold your purse a little tighter to you. 
But Jesus calls us together when we meet him. Normally, we'd have nothing to do with each other. But Jesus brings us into this amazing community in him. And he says, I'm gonna give you all power according to my glorious might so that you can just put up with each other. You're gonna overlook this stuff. You're gonna give the benefit of the doubt. And you're gonna bear with each other. That's what being patient, that's how he defines patience in that verse. And then Paul gets to pure genius in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. Talks about the different kinds of people that we bear with and that are in our lives. And we bear with them in different ways. So he says, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. We, we have some troublemakers in our, in our circles. And he says, some of them need to be confronted. And so you warn them. Also in our lives, we have people who have just had the heart beaten out of them. They're discouraged. They're heartbroken. And he says, so you ought to encourage the disheartened. You don't want to warn a disheartened person. You're, you're about to snuff the life out of them. But you warn disruptive people, but you encourage disheartened people. And then we have weak people, people who just, just are really vulnerable right now. Maybe because of physical illness, maybe because of a reversal financially, maybe because of relational pain or divorce. And he said, help them, help them. Don't point the finger at them because they're weak. This is part of bearing with each other. We come alongside people who are weak and we help them. But he's not quite done. And then he says, there's a group of people you need to be patient with. But it amazes me how he defines that group. Be patient with everyone. There's not a person that everyone excludes Everyone around you, you're going to have to be patient with. And this is what the spirit of Jesus will do. As we're together in a family, be patient with everyone. So it, it leaves a question like, how, how do we overcome impatience in our lives? If that's true. If impatience is embedded in the character of God and impatience makes the community of Jesus work and the family of God work because we just refuse to give up on each other. We bear with one another. If that's true, how do I overcome impatience in my life? Now, if you go to ChatGPT, which I did because I was curious this week, and said, how do I overcome impatience? It'll give you some really good advice. Or if you go to a counselor who's not a Christian, they will give you the same advice. And it's good advice. It was stuff like I do on Glenstone behind a slow driver in the left lane. You learn to breathe deeply. You just go, you know, just don't react, just breathe deeply. That's good. That's, that's part of how God wired us to be able to operate. We can kind of help ourselves there. They will also tell you to change your thinking about things. You're sitting in the DMV. You got that little number tag. And you are going, you're saying to yourself, this is going to take forever yeah well in the big picture it's not going to take forever it's going to take 45 minutes maybe an hour and it feels like forever in our busy lives but there is another way of looking at it oh I have a free hour just to sit here and catch up on some reading 
or catch up on the news on my phone. I mean, wow, when do I just ever get held prisoner for an hour with nothing to do but catch up on things? You see, so you rewire. And this is very biblical, right? Paul says, you, you gotta censor your thought. You gotta, you gotta harness. You don't let your mind go certain ways. You, but things that are good, things that are pure, things that are, are, are praiseworthy, like being able to catch up on stuff, you think on those things. You edit your thoughts and you just go that way. And when we're really impatient, when we're dealing with even anger, um, there are practical and wonderful things to do. But I just want to put in front of you what Paul says about this. Because we're talking about fruit of, are we talking about the fruit of positive thinking? Are we talking about the fruit of you being blessed so that nobody ever drives slow in front of you on the left lane? Mm -mm. We are talking about the fruit of literally God's Holy Spirit. And you realize that God's Spirit can, can give us something. So let's read it one more time. The fruit of the Spirit is forbearance. This is the fruit of the Holy Spirit remaking it, rebuilding the character structure of our lives and settling us down. And so that's why three verses later, as we've been also reading every week, Verse 25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Part of keeping in step with the Holy Spirit is saying, Lord, I can win the patience thing. I, 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 I can stay patient with my spouse and my kids. I can stay patient with drivers who don't have a clue because, because there is something of your Spirit that is engulfing me today. It's called being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why our first core value as a church is being hungry for God. It's, listen, this is not some kind of psyching yourself up. It's not an exercise in self-actualization. The Holy Spirit is real. It's the presence of God with us. And it can fill us and rearrange the structure of our heart. And it can bring us to that place of um, just being steady, loving when we don't get the benefit back, bearing with one another when they do disappoint us. Yes, we warn them if we have to, and yes, we help them if they hit the skids, but we are patient with everyone. How can you be that way? How can a community of Christ like this thrive? without the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't think the Christian life even makes sense without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's more than a moral code to keep up with. That'll exhaust you if you're doing it all by yourself. The Holy Spirit changes the internal structure of your life. And, and whereas your fuse used to be short, you now become long-tempered and long-suffering. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has done something. And this is where I want to invite you today, to the Holy Spirit. First of all, ask Jesus to supernaturally keep your heart calm. I mean, supernaturally keep your heart calm. Some other languages, 
Instead of the word patience, they use word pictures, metaphors. And in some language, the, the metaphor is patience is remaining seated in your heart. <laughs> Aren't you jumping? Sometimes it's to keep one's heart from jumping or to have a waiting heart. This is what the Holy Spirit can bring to you. Ask him to keep your heart calm. You can have patience as you yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. And then secondly, be ready. Be ready for God to test you if you ask him for patience. Because the prayer, Lord, give me patience, needs a warning tag on it. (laughs) Be advised, God loves answering this prayer. (laughs) Someone said, so pastor, this morning, are you gonna pray for patience for all of us? I'm not gonna do it for you because it could ruin your week. Uh, But that's for you to have the courage to pray for patience, because you can't have patience when there's no difficult people in your life. You can't have patience in a vacuum. You learn patience by being placed where, in places where you're tempted to be short-tempered rather than long-tempered. And God loves to ask this. So if you're gonna pray, I'm inviting you, in addition to breathing deeply and being careful where your head goes and all the other good advice you can find, I want you to be hungry for God and say, God, I just believe. I'm living too much on my own steam. I'm just tired trying to grit my teeth and be what I should be when I've got the power of your Holy Spirit that can just change my heart. And then just know that he's gonna test you there. But here's the last thing I want to say to you as we talk about overcoming impatience. And you may not be expecting this one, but it's critically important. I want to call you to surrender your rights and expectations to God in all of your life, every aspect of your life. It's that word surrender. I believe surrender is the the engine behind patience. I believe surrender is the pathway to true spirit-filled patience. Surrender. So look at these two lines here. And it's a gap. All of us have a gap in our lives. It's a gap between what we expect and what we experience. And how you manage that gap. Or if you've ever ridden the subways in, in London, you'll hear this voice every time the subway doors open. Mind the gap. Mind the gap. We gotta mind that gap. Otherwise you trip if you're not careful. And there is a big gap between what we experience at any given day in our life and what maybe we expect. And you can fill that gap with a lot of frustration. Man, life's, man, those cars drive so slow in front of me in the left lane. I mean, you can, you, you can just fill your life with a lot of frustration. You can feel, God, if you're allowing this in my life, you, you know, I'm believing you for things, but my experience isn't what I'm expecting you to do. You can fill it with unbelief. You can fill that gap with a lot of anger, especially if you change the word expectations to the word entitlement. Lord, I'm entitled to these things in life. And when it doesn't happen, your only option is to get angry. You can fill that gap with frustration, with unbelief, with anger, with disappointment. I'm just disappointed with how things are turning out. 
because there's always a gap between experience and expectations. But I want to invite you to this morning to fill that gap with something we call surrender. And I think the surrendered life we don't talk enough about because we like in the church to talk about, especially we pastors, the committed life, which means grit your teeth and try harder. But like my friend Gail Johnson in her book all there, she says, I found, I found that pushing and shoving and just trying to do all the right things all the time, those things never bring life to your soul ever. But there's another way rather than just trying harder. It's doing what Jesus did the night before he was crucified. He's in a garden. Sometimes we talk about being really under stress. We'll say, I was, I was just sweating bullets. Well, Jesus was literally sweating blood. And his soul was being torn apart at the torture and agony that would be ahead of him as well as bearing the sins of the world on himself. And he was calling out to his heavenly father saying, God, if there's any other way, please let me go that other way. But then he did the ultimate surrender thing. He said, but not my way, your way, God. That's the bottom line of my life. And there has to be a moment in all of our lives, you'll never cope with life well, you'll never walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll, you'll, you'll never live this exchange life where it's not me so much living, but it's God through me and in me. You'll never walk that unless you've come to that bottom line at some point in your life where you say, God, it's your will, not my will. I mean, the whole transaction of my life from this day forward will be your way and not my way. Your terms and not my terms. See, when I put God on terms, that's I'm expecting things. And, but, but surrender is like, you know, like in the movies, uh, you know, hands up, right? You surrender. It means you've taken your hands off anything else that you control. And, and it's, it's trust. It's risky but you say, Lord, I'm taking my hand. I, I surrender. My life is now yours. And because Jesus chose the bottom line of God's way, he, he took his hands off controlling everything that would happen the next few hours. As he was scourged, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. By his wounds, by his stripes, we were healed. He bought us our salvation. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You, you can't. You can't think, well, I'm going to demand it from God. You, he just did it for you. He did what was needed because he made the bottom line the will of his heavenly Father who created you and loves you and wants a relationship with you. And then Jesus calls him to himself and says, sorry, folks, but it's the same bottom line. But the benefit of this is you will not live with nearly as amount of impatience and anxiety and stress. If you just, I surrender, take my hands off it. I'm not controlling it. The pressure's not on me. It's not on me. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not me, but Christ lives through me. And the life I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why Paul could write in Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Those were the previous two fruit of the Spirit. As you what? Trust in him. So that you may be frustrated by all the expectations and entitlements that haven't been met in your life yet that make you so angry and impatient. No, so that you may overflow with hope. By 
the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is the end. If surrender is the pathway to patience, who or what are you surrendered to? And uh, you're surrendered to something. You all serve something. There's a value system. There's an ethic that you're all serving. And the great news is the God who has patience embedded in his very character. That word slow to anger, that phrase appears nine times in the Old Testament alone. That God who's patient for you, waiting for you to repent. He, he's saying, come surrender to me. This is the time. <laughs>